Hello, everybody. My name is Coach Ray Z. Uh, joined by my guest, Dr. Uh, do you prefer Chris or Christopher? Uh, Chris is fine. I'm just trying to adjust a little bit. I yeah, understand. yeah. I understand. Uh, well, welcome to uh, Fireside. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for joining in the simulcast in the audience and also in the streams. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the four uh, biggest fitness myths in, uh, in fitness, but that's just a little teaser. Uh, first, we're going to get to know uh, the doctor a little bit. Uh, doctor, I always like to start my podcast with finding out if, uh, you know, when you were young, did your parents encourage you to play sports or, or not really? Did you play video games? How, how was your activity growing up? Yeah, I, I love that question. I actually grew up in a household with two parents that were very athletic. Uh, my mother was in the ice capades. My father was a competitive track star. Uh, he played soccer. He uh, really had a lot of success as a runner. I mean, really uh, a great physical athlete. Uh, even went into the Marines, so he was in the military. Uh, at one point in his platoon, he won the most fit Marine uh, in boot camp. So both my parents were very active. You know, I played sports at a young age. Uh, I really kind of dived into every sport that I could. Football was always a love of mine, but I played soccer. I played baseball. I, you know, I tried everything that I could. Uh, and that's really what kind of, you know, drove me into thinking about a career in sports or some sort of athletic training or fitness. Uh, and then when I first got into college, I started as an athletic training major. Ended up switching to make a long story short. I went exercise science, uh, got my master's in strength and conditioning, and then uh, got the PhD from there. So that that's basically been the process. You know, my whole life I've been very involved in in fitness and athletics, and just kind of chasing, you know, uh, keeping myself as healthy as possible. Well, since you were so uh, you know into health and fitness, at any point did you have aspirations of becoming pro in anything? Oh, I would have loved to. You know, I, I always tell people one of the reasons why I'm in this field is, uh, you know, I talk about this a lot on different podcasts is I was very undersized as a younger athlete. So, you know, I was, you know, lifting weights and I think it was like the sixth grade. And, you know, I started to really develop confidence, you know, in the weight room and, you know, starting to get more size and be able to be stronger. And you, you notice yourself getting a little bit faster. Uh, so those types of things, you know, really helped in, you know, developing that path into, you know, what I'm doing now for sure. And uh, at, at any point, did, I mean, it sounds like you knew right away what you wanted to do, which is fascinating to me. A, a lot of kids now are kind of lost. They're not sure what direction. So I, I find it fascinating. And I try and bring on guests from all walks of life, like from doctors to uh, race organizers to mm. MMA fighters. Uh, that way sports and fitness is such a wide uh actually like career field but most people only want to be pro athletes so they may not even think about maybe being a doctor for mm. you know uh for physical fitness and i was reading your your bio and you started working uh right away with uh, d1 athletes or yeah so i mean you know i got into the field because i experienced a couple injuries and and like i said you know i, I was uh undersized and i saw all the benefit that was coming from it and it pushed me to want to work with athletes that were not you know basically going to be able to get to levels that i couldn't get to uh and play a small role because yeah i would have loved to have been a professional athlete you know what i mean i, I think every young athlete dreams of that uh but once i started getting involved with the athletes at the division one level you know, it really opened up my eyes to, 
some of the things that we'll probably talk about today, like, you know, they, they need the basics just like anybody else. And, you know, I loved the atmosphere and it was such a, it was really, you know, a great time in my life to be able to work for a division one universities and, and be able to have some success there. But really I started to realize, you know, I really had a good knack for taking the complex information and, and kind of making it a little bit simpler for these athletes to understand. And that's what pushed me more in the education side to be able to have a bigger impact in the field, to be able to coach, you know, future trainers, strength coaches, fitness professionals that are looking to get into the field. You know, you just have a wider reach and an impact in a field that I have such a large passion for. So it's been it's been an exciting ride on that side. A ton of fun working with D1 athletes, but everybody can train like an athlete. It's just finding the right um, regression of certain exercises and techniques um, to develop strength. Everybody should get stronger. Everybody should develop, you know, a little bit more power. Everybody should develop an aerobic capacity, just like these athletes are doing. Um, so I, that's kind of a philosophy of mine that I take into some of my training is be able to utilize, you know, what what people look at as elite training. Let's do a form of that that you can handle, uh, and it really kind of keeps people adherent to the program for sure. And uh, is that is that what led you to you're a professor as well? Yep. So, you know, like I said, I just wanted to kind of help people learn, you know, the need to know of certain things because science, you know, there's a lot of complexities to this. But, you know, we don't want to overthink fitness. And I wanted to be a professor in order to, like I said, start to develop that type of mindset, you know, with my students and to try not to make a lot of the mistakes that I made along the way. That's kind of probably, you know, the, the most important aspect of me being a professor is being able to share the experience and really, you know, help people avoid those, those mishaps and watch their career flourish because of it. Uh, that's really exciting on my end. And, you know, I, I was kind of just thinking about um, since you are a professor and you like to, you know, help everybody like out, uh, what type of injuries did you overcome when you mentioned you were injured a lot? And is that in a way part of what drove you to uh, physical because you're uh, strength and conditioning? Yep. So my PhD is in exercise physiology, but my undergrad was a standard exercise science bachelor's program and my master's was strength and conditioning. Um, so, yeah, I experienced, you know, some injuries. I had a pulled muscle, a pulled groin when I was in I mean, uh, high school. Um, that really affected me like right before the season started. And it was always there a little bit. It never pulled me out of any playing time, but, but it was there. And then another reason why I got into this field is because when I was in, you know, high school, we didn't have good strength programs and things like that. I, it was all about lifting more weight, not necessarily the proper technique. So when I went to college, you know, within the first two years, I had two knee surgeries um, and that was detrimental, you know, I mean, you're not, you're not out there as much, or when you are out there, you're not moving as capable. Uh, and I didn't want to see athletes experience that, you know, even though I'm playing at a small D3 school, you know, any athlete at, at any level, I, I hate to see missed time, especially with things that are very preventative, you know, being able to understand how to weight train effectively and how to take care of your body. A, a lot of injuries, I do believe, you know, can be somewhat prevented if we start to do some of these real, you know, baseline things early. No, I totally agree with you. I'm a, I train with the ATG, which is Ben Patrick, and he's, you know, had suffered knee injuries, uh, knee surgeries, and he's really big on, on 
preventing uh, bulletproofing the body. So I, I agree with you on that. And I've seen some of your videos and you have the ability to, you know, like you mentioned, kind of say it to the average person, but you can also get very deep because I've seen some of your videos on, I think it was like the heart rate pump flow. And I was like pretty technical as well. And I listen to, you know, all kinds of podcasts and, and people, and some of them, I like them to be real technical. And then after a while, it makes my head hurt. And then I'll, yeah. go, I want to listen to something more like average. So I, I like a combination of both because I'm trying to reach a lot of the people that are kind of afraid to start to work out, you know, uh, United States obesity is an all time high. So I don't think the average person is ready for all that information. You know what, Ray? I'm glad you brought that up because that's been one of my biggest mistakes of my career is when I started my social media page, I feel like I've wasted years by going too detailed thinking that because I have a passion for that, because that's really interesting to me that it's going to be interesting to other people in the field. And sometimes, you know, now at this point in my career, I could take a step back and realize, you know, I do my real specialty is a very small niche within the whole exercise, fitness, and nutrition world. So as time has gone on, now I'm trying to flirt with that line of, you know, an exercise science student could benefit from my Instagram page, but so can the general public. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I'm trying to do is, is be that, I bridge that gap, so to speak, between the science and between that practical application. And, and it's hard. It's definitely hard to do. Uh, but, you know, you just got to keep, you got to keep seeing what people are interested in and what they're, what they want to learn, because there's so much the general public can benefit from, you know, learning some of these basics and not overthinking fitness, because so many people do, they want the novelty, they want something that they've never heard of before, because they think that that's going to be the solution that they've always seeked. And, you know, the more you learn about the human body and health and fitness, the basics are what it needs, period. You know, you can experiment with things to get optimal, so to speak, but that's after you've mastered everything that we'll probably talk some of that today. So I don't want to start with any of those myths yet, but th those are, that's the reason why I'm in this field. And that's the reason why I've stuck around in this field for so long is because I'm trying to do that. And, and if you didn't go into this field, what do you think you'd be doing? If I'll tell as a 35 year old man to say this now, like I love space. It's, you know, when, when I'm not learning about the human body, I do enjoy learning and watching space documentaries and things like that. So, you know, in that sense, I, I'm a super nerd in that case. I probably would like to work for NASA if, uh, if I didn't have, you know, this job that I have now in this field or something related to space, I think would be, would be great because, for me, the two biggest mysteries of life are the complexity of the human body. We don't know nearly as much as people think we know about the human body. And then the complexity of what's outside this planet. Those are two fascinating things to me, you know, the vastness of the, you know, what's out there. So that's probably what I would do for sure. Yeah, I'm sure there's possibilities with uh, NASA needing all kinds of uh, doctors all the time. So you never know. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the basics because pretty much any sport you do uh the basics is what what gets you through it you know like dribbling uh, playing basketball i do jujitsu and it's not the fancy moves and all this stuff it's always the basics and and people kind of forget about that and it might be have to do with a uh, you know tiktok and and reels and the influence that you see on social media like oh that looks cool i want to try it and you end up getting hurt uh do you 
I want, yeah, I want to talk on that for a second because that's something that is, um, I talk about a lot in my classes. When you go on Instagram and you start to look at some of the fitness pages that have a ton of views and a ton of hits, one thing I always tell people is they're showing those exercises as novelty specialty exercises that they probably very rarely do. The bulk of their training is back to the basics because that's what works. But what sells on Instagram or social media is, is what's on that very tip of what some people would call cutting edge. But, you know, people just need to realize how small of a portion of, of that program that that part or that exercise actually plays. Uh, and that's a big one. You know, like people have to remember and it's hard sometimes to remember, you know, Instagram is really a highlight reel. People are showing, you know, you know, the best that they have to offer on certain exercises or things like that. So uh, it's definitely something I, I understand when the general public, you know, if, if I knew nothing about exercise and I followed a page that had all these fancy exercises, when I went to a gym, I, I guess I would expect that I'm going to do those exercises. And people just don't realize you, you're not ready for that yet. The basics are going to give you so much more of a benefit than the risk of something more complex that could cause harm down the road. And then, uh, you know, I was always researching my guests. So I'm looking through your Instagram and I see uh, that you post about food, which is very important because I'm always stressing about, you know, you can't act out exercise a bad diet. Um, so um, do you post about that a lot or how important do you feel that is to people, you know, trying to get in shape? Yep. I, I, my response to that question is uh, one of my biggest mistakes as a younger athlete and even as a younger professional is not respecting the nutrition side of it as much. And I'm very open about that, you know, in my classes and when I talk with people like, you know, I always was thinking that it was what I was doing in the weight room that was the biggest fish. And I started to realize it really depends on what the goal is, right? So I always tell people, if you're looking to lose body fat, nutrition is so much more important. And I guess this is my opinion, but you know, a lot of people believe it's so much more important than the exercise part of it is, right? Meaning the nutrition really is what's going to drive the fat loss. On the flip side of it, when people are looking to gain muscle, you know, that's a big goal of a lot of people. They want to put on some lean tissue. Then you kind of get into the argument where, you know, in order to build, you have to create a stimulus to the muscle to cause it to grow. So the weight training is a little bit more important than the nutrition. But I personally, you know, didn't respect that nutrition field as much as I probably should have. Now I'm on the opposite side of it. I almost lean more towards the nutrition sciences than I am in today's day and age than I am more so the physiology. Uh, to me, you know, the metabolism, my, one of my biggest areas of interest is human metabolism and that's nutrition right there. So energy system development for athletes on that side of it. And then, you know, general human nutrition. And so I'm going to keep posting uh, content in that area because I do believe that, you know, a lot of people mess up with their nutrition. People are doing, a, a, there's a lot of training programs that you can get results with. Um, you know, the writing a basic training program is not that complex, a simple and effective program. Nutrition is where people really kind of fall off the wagon. So now, like I said, that's going to be probably a big focus of mine from now on for the rest of my career is to get people to really grasp that first, really handle that nutrition 
be consistent in your workouts. Once you kind of have a good handle on your nutrition, now start to really optimize your workouts. That's the whole general philosophy that I usually have. No, I agree with you. And, and even now, I think more with all the different types of diets that there is, nutrition can get even more complicated uh, per customer because maybe one's a vegan, maybe one's a pescatarian, and maybe one is on a protein diet. And it, it, it could be a fine line. And uh, depending on who it is, I if, if it's something I'm not comfortable with, I do refer it out because nutrition is very, very important. And uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Um, so we were going to talk about fitness myths and we were going to talk about the four biggest fitness myths. And thank you everybody for joining. If you did want to just follow and get some more information from the doctor, you can click on the hyperlink and you can see his Instagram page. Uh, before we get to that, I did want to ask you, uh, is there a certain type of person you'd like to work with? Is it athletes? Is it the average Joe? That's a great question because it, it depends on what part of my career you're talking about. So when I was in the early portion of my career, because I was just coming off being an athlete, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to eventually try and become an NFL strength coach. That was a goal of mine. Uh, football was a priority, so I always coached football. Um, and as I started kind of you know, developing, working with those D1 teams. I, I loved it. I thought that's what I was always going to do. And then as I've gotten older, you know, and kind of more in the general public side of it and working with that population and talking more to that population and seeing the impact that I'm having on, you know, potential people's livelihoods and, you know, how they, they, their quality of life is affected by just having some good information in front of them. Now I'm more interested in working with the general public than I am with athletes. I still, you know, do a little bit of consulting with different types of athletes and people reach out for some of that type of stuff. Uh, but for the most part, the general public is probably where I'll be for now in the remainder part of my career because of the impact on quality of life. I mean, athletic, athletic, um, Athletic goals are great, and I love seeing athletes succeed. Uh, but, you know, the quality of life that you can help the general public gain uh, is priceless for sure. 100% agree with you on that. Um, that's, you know, part of the reason why I'm here. I'm like, how can I reach more of the average person uh, working at three major gyms and one MMA gym? Uh, I know that the hardest thing for people to do is walk in the door. Uh, mm. it, it's not even to sign up, you know, a lot of people also sign up and don't go, but just to get going. And, and those are the people that I want to reach because the long term of, you know, if I'm a father, if you have kids and you want to be around for them and their, your grandkids and, and be mobile and be able to play with them, uh, that that's something that just not being athletic, just being mobile is mm so undervalued and i don't think people really appreciate it i've heard that a lot of people can't even get up from the toilet like because of you know obesity and yeah. I, never, I never fat shame here but it's getting you know to the point where uh i know since the pandemic the average american has gained 29 pounds and as far as i know unless it's all muscle no one likes to put on that extra weight right and, and, you and know, then with I the pandemic as well everybody started Alcohol sales have gone up, uh, more home delivery. So we're, we're in a situation where we need every coach, every doctor, everyone to just uh, try and help someone out. Yeah, I, I want to touch on something that you said briefly because it's super important and I hear it all the time. There's so many people that 
are afraid to walk in the door. I'm, I'm so pumped that you brought that up. And the reason being is because one of the reasons why people tell me that they're afraid to walk in the door is they're afraid that they're going to be essentially like on display and people are going to judge them and, and, and uh, you know, look at their workouts and what they're doing. Although some people do that, and I get it, there, there are people out there that uh, just don't understand but the vast majority of gyms aren't like that. And if you're in a gym like that, move on to a different one. Uh, most people are just concerned with their own workout. They're doing their own thing. They're, they're just as a beginner as you are. Um, of course, there are people in fitness centers that have, been, that have been doing it for a long time. But oftentimes, in my experiences, a lot of them are good people that want to help too. You know what I mean? They, nobody got a great physique without getting some sort of tips and guidance and help along the way. So there's a lot of good people out there that are, that are still willing to help. So, you know, I really hate it when people say that. I, I just feel like I, I don't want to be on display. Uh, it, it's probably going to happen from time to time. You got to just ignore it. Most of the time it's not going to happen. People are concerned with, with what they're doing, not necessarily as much as you. No, I agree. And, and I hope that those people that still don't get the nerve uh, would maybe consider some online training, some online coaching. Right now we're living in where you can go in the metaverse and work out. So there's all kinds of new opportunities for you to get in shape and find motivation, find inspiration. There's podcasts everywhere, YouTube. I mean, uh, you know, doctors you can follow on Instagram. So if you really want it, especially now, a lot of people are kind of maybe uh, giving up on that New Year's resolution. You know, you still have plenty of time. It's barely the 13th. Um, there's no reason for you to give up. I just want to encourage that. And, and, uh, Based on the time, I, I want to give a chance to let's go over the fitness myths. And then if anybody has questions uh, later on, they're more than welcome to raise their hand and, and we can do some Q&A as well. So uh, what is the first uh, major uh, fitness myth you have for us today? So the first one I want to throw out there, uh, I'm such a proponent of protein and higher protein diets, making sure people get an adequate amount of protein in. It's going to be a, a real kind of highlight of, of um, you know, my general philosophy moving forward. And the reason being is in the myth, before I get into it, the, the myth is high protein diets can hurt your kidneys or your liver uh, and create some metabolic disturbances. I, I hear this a lot, uh, especially with people that are kind of in different communities of different diet type, types of cultures. And when we start to look at higher protein diets, and this is something that's, that's really important. First of all, the higher protein is beneficial for not just building muscle. Oftentimes when people say protein, oh yeah, helps you, helps you build muscle, which is 100% true. And it's a major reason why we do need protein is for structure. But protein goes well beyond that. And there's a lot of body function reasons we need it. So the chemicals in your brain that communicate um, different neurons, the brain cells, those that's made up of protein, immune cells and different antibodies that help fight off infections. Those that's made up of protein. Um, what's in your red blood cells that help you carry oxygen to muscle. It's made up of protein. Another reason uh, that protein is important is people don't realize enzymes, which help you break down carbs, fats, and protein are made up of protein and the list keeps going on. So high protein diets are very, very effective because they, they basically cover a lot of function and structure in your body. Now, the reason why this myth is out there and the reason why people talk about it a lot is because if you were to go get a blood test with your family physician and 
you saw an increase in certain blood markers. There's one called uh, a bun ratio and there's something called creatinine. They might raise a little bit. They're markers of essentially um, uh, what's called nitrogen and nitrogen is what's actually in protein that has to be removed and it's just a way of clearing it. So these numbers might go up a little bit because you have a higher protein diet. They're still in normal range but they're a little bit elevated. And sometimes that signifies to a general practitioner or a family physician that there might be some type of dysfunction. But once you tell that, that general practitioner, your doctor, that, hey, listen, I actually recently just started a higher protein diet. Oh, okay, that now makes sense. And then there's another marker of kidney function known as GFR, which basically shows you how blood's being filtered through the kidneys. And when we see high-protein diets, that GFR, it's called glomerular filtration ratio, it stays the same. There's no change. It's, it's perfectly normal with people that are taking, you know, ingesting high-protein diets. And, I mean, we've got protein diets that have been studied two times your body weight, which most people won't even get close to, you know, in a dietary sense. So that's a big myth that's out there. It's a big myth I try and crush a lot because I'm such a big fan of high-protein diets. I don't want people to fear that. We have not just a couple week studies. We've got studies that have lasted years now of high-protein diets with no kidney and no liver damage, provided you already have a healthy kidney and liver. Obviously, if there's some type of dysfunction, and that's something that I always have to make sure I tell people, um, you know, if there's some pathology in the liver or kidney, clearly we might need to see a specialist and, and go from there and, and have a deeper conversation. But if you're healthy, a high-protein diet is very, very important. So I think the important thing here to take away is if you are on a high-protein diet and you get those numbers high, make sure you let your doctor your physician know about your diet that way they don't think something might be off and as well uh, what about when you stop that high protein diet does your numbers go back to what they were prior to kind of level out yep so if you if you got off a high protein diet like that you know they'd kind of go back to whatever it was to start you know they'd revert back and once again you know you're, you'd want to let your physician know why these numbers are changing. That's, it's one of the things that I think is going to be a big change in the future. I think a lot of doctors are going to have to somehow start to get more into your lifestyle and, and be able to, you know, know why certain things are changing in your body. Because just one of the, the key thing I've learned in physiology, just because something's going up, or something's going down, whatever it is, heart rate, blood pressure, uh, you know, any physiological marker in your blood doesn't mean it's either good or bad. Uh, there, there's a reason why it's a range. Your body's very, it fluctuates on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis. There's a lot of fluctuation. And so that's something that I think is important is we as, you know, the, the, we as patients to other doctors have to be advocates for our own health and let them know what our lifestyle looks like in order for them to serve us best with what they see, you know, in the different lab reports or any other diagnostic tests that they run. It's super important. It means a lot, you know, for sure. Well, thank you for that. And yeah, that, that was very informative. I, I think learning to communicate with your physician, uh, I think when I go in there, I'm just not really sure that they want to hear it. And I never really thought about that. So I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, uh, which is your second uh, myth that you want to 
So another myth that I talk about a lot, it comes up a lot is fasting. And specifically this myth is fasted cardio. So I see a lot of people do a technique known as fasted cardio where let's say, for example, they eat dinner at night, they go to bed, wake up in the morning and do aerobic exercise without eating anything. So there's no calories coming into their system, right? That's me. Now, Sometimes. Now I have done, I do fasted cardio, so I'm not against doing it. What I, the reason for the myth is people believe that fasted cardio is a faster way to fat loss. Mm -hmm. They think that because you're doing fasted cardio, you're automatically going to speed up fat loss. And where this myth came from is because when you are fasted, your source of fat is clearly going to be body fat because you haven't eaten anything, Right. But what people neglect to learn or just don't figure out over time is when throughout the rest of the day, when you eat dietary fat, it essentially starts to get replaced because it comes down to total calories. Like that's still the most important factor of your daily nutrition. Uh, when, when you look at your nutrition from like a bird's eye view, pick the best diet plan that works for you. What are you going to adhere to? But the next biggest rock is your daily calories, total calories. So you can't outsmart your body just because you're giving it, you know, an, a small window of time where it has to burn body fat. It will replace it throughout the course of the day with the fat that you're eating. And then if you maintain a deficit, so you're still eating less calories than you're actually expending, you'll continue to lose weight. But if you were to just stay at the same calorie range and you did fasted cardio and then you didn't, you wouldn't necessarily see the weight loss. We've got studies on that that have lasted, you know, relatively long term and fasted cardio does not lead to greater fat loss in the chronic or long term outlook of it. No, that that makes complete sense right there. Uh, people are always trying to get the shortcut, uh, trying yeah. to lose weight quicker. So the best thing to do is uh, to get informed. Um, but, but I will add one other thing, Ray. Um, when you do fasted cardio, so it's not like there's no benefit to it because there are some. So when we do fasted cardio, I just wanted people to know the myth is it doesn't lead to more fat loss. But fasted cardio will force your body to get more efficient at burning fats. And that can be very beneficial during a workout. So first of all, you know, I always tell people, if you're going to exercise fasted, uh, some uh, not across the board, because some people report to me that they actually see a boost in performance, but a lot of people will see a decrease in performance. And then basically they're okay with that because they know that when they are doing cardio that, and they have enough nutrients, they're more efficient at burning fats that in the long run could boost performance, but it might not, it's not going to boost or it's not going to boost fat loss per se, but it could it gives some sort of performance from a fat burning efficiency perspective, which is unique. I think that's, that's a tool to use it for. Got it. Yeah. You know, I started doing it since a little kid. My mom always wanted me to eat breakfast and I just didn't feel right going out and playing with food in my system. And then I, I didn't realize it was fasted cardio till when it became kind of trendy years mm. ago and I heard about it. I'm like, Oh, so I've been doing fasted cardio kind of, most of my life without really knowing it, but I've never done it trying to, you know, burn fat quicker. Right. And so that is very important to, to learn. I, uh, what would you say? I know we're talking about myths, but what would you say is the best way to burn fat for everyone who wants a shortcut? 
So if you're looking for different shortcuts, um, there, there's a few things that you can do. N number one, I think it's super important. You have to understand your calorie deficit because you, you can't lose body fat unless obviously you're eating less calories than you're ultimately expending. And then essentially from there, strength training is a really beneficial thing to do when you're trying to lose weight because it maintains lean tissue. And so when you do that, more of the weight that you lose will come from body fat and not as much from muscle. Because when you lose weight, no matter what, some of it's coming from fat and some of it's coming from muscle. Same thing when you gain weight. When you gain weight, some comes from fat, some is coming from muscle. So if you can maintain a high intensity of weight training um, throughout your weight loss phase, that's going to keep your metabolism higher because you're going to maintain more lean mass. So that's a super important one. Um, the other thing that you can do is it's really important when you're trying to speed up fat loss is you have to understand that dieting is a stressor to your body. So your body's going to purposely want to move less throughout the course of the day. And a good coach teaches you that that's going to happen. And if you get in your mind before the dieting phase starts, that I still have to keep up non-exercise activity, things like doing chores, you know, vacuuming, um, taking the dog out, uh, whatever you do, a, a daily walk that's not necessarily exercise, just a small casual stroll. These are things that you have to make sure you still do throughout the weight loss phase because a lot of people neglect that and they don't realize that now they're not burning as many calories and now they're not losing weight as effectively. So that's really important, a good, a good easy way to kind of speed up some fat loss. Um, some high intensity exercise does help. Interval training can help. The problem is people tend to take it to the extreme. They think, oh, if a little bit is good, then I'm going to try and do interval training like every night or every day. And that's going to fry your nervous system. Then you won't be able to strength train as much. You won't maintain that lean muscle. You're not going to sleep as well. Your appetite's going to drop. Your mood's going to change. Your cognitive function goes down. So many things change um, if you're not doing the, the proper things and you do too much hit. Uh, but yeah, a couple high intensity sessions, you know, one or two a week would be great. Um, and then just maintain a high amount of water, keep your metabolism high, drink enough water. And if you do all those things, you're, you're going to be good. Yeah. I noticed that a lot that people want to do more always, and it's not always good to do more. Um, like I tell people you didn't put on weight in a week. So you killing yourself for one week, isn't going to do it. it. It's a mm -hmm. gradual, be patient you know, and it'll come, you'll see the results. And to me, feeling good is more important than looking good. And the, the looks and the results will come. It's just, you know, be patient. Don't, don't be so hard on yourself. Patience is key. Once again, I think a good fitness coach, a good personal trainer, one of the first things that, you know, I always told people is there's two kind of golden rules to have success in fitness, but this goes for any aspect of life. You have to be patient and you have to be consistent. You can't get results in anything if you don't have those two things. And so I love how you mentioned, because I bring it up to clients or students all the time, people didn't gain 30 pounds in 30 days. They're not going to lose 30 pounds in 30 days. So stop promising that. Fit the fitness industry is just so notor notorious for overselling things. 
Um, you know, and, and they just, it lets people down and then people want to crash diet. They want to get their, to their results really, really fast. And I see it time and time again, the people who try and get there too fast are the same people that tend to have to, they stumble and they end up coming back and doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Um, slow and steady wins the race in fitness. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make for sure. I mean, there's no question about it. Take your time, you know, slow changes over time, stay consistent. They stack up, they become more motivating. And then you see yourself, you know, a year from now as a completely different person. And you're not stuck in that, that same old yo-yo dieting cycle or whatever is tripping you up all the time. I'm going to need to get a drum roll. Um, moving on to Myth number three. Number three. This is where I need the drum roll. I know. <laughs> so this one right here is something that's more on the female side. So I hear this more on the female side, but I hear this on the male side too. So I always talk about this myth. There's a lot of people out there that think that lifting weights is automatically going to make you bulky. And I tell people, like, look around the gym and look how many people have been trying to gain muscle um, you know, consistently over time and look at how slow their body changes. Like when you really start to be present in a weight room or a fitness center, it's hard to build muscle. Nobody just woke up, you know, three days later and packed on 10 pounds of muscle and oh my God, I'm so bulky now. It just doesn't happen. It's hard. And so I want people to understand that first. Weight of muscle gain is very slow. You're fortunate to gain a pound or two of muscle for most people in a month. And at some point in your fitness career, if you do it long enough, you're fortunate to gain a pound or two of muscle in a year. That's with consistent training. So, I mean, rate of muscle growth is, is, is really slow. I shouldn't say relatively slow, really slow. Um, some people respond a, a little bit differently and, and gain muscle faster, of course, but nobody's going to wake up overnight and be super bulky. Now, the, the real reason why I talk about this myth is because you can lift for strength. You don't have to resistance train just solely for muscle growth like a bodybuilder would. I think everybody can benefit from getting stronger, obviously. Strength increases, you know, so many things. If you're an athlete, just by getting stronger, you're going to be more powerful. Just by getting stronger, you're going to be faster. You're going to be able to change direction better, have better agility. We're seeing that strength is even beneficial for like the your aerobic development because you have the ability to produce force against the ground. Your economy of movement and how you move is so much more efficient. So you don't have to weight train for the purpose of gaining a lot of lean mass. And so that's something that I always want people to understand. If you use the, the right intensities with the right rest periods, you know, with the right amount of sets and reps, you're going to be able to build a lot of strength and not, a, not build a ton of muscle. And that's going to benefit all those areas like I talked about. If you, muscle growth is your goal, you can train for that. You know, don't be afraid to touch the weights because you think you're going to be, you know, the incredible Hulk in, in a month. That's the point that I always want to make and be very clear with, especially to the general public. That is a great point. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, working at different gyms, that's probably one of the things that I would see a lot of females be afraid of. They, they don't want to get muscular. Um, and I also know bodybuilders and they're eating like six times a day and taking protein. And it's not easy, as you mentioned, to put on muscle. So, uh, don't worry about that. And yes, there's a difference between like bodybuilding and Olympic weights and just strength and conditioning. 
And we've got we've got some really good research now on people who maintain more lean mass throughout their life and brain health. You know, their their risk for cognitive issues um, is way lower. People who we now know that the brain and muscle communicate with each other. There's um, small little proteins that will circulate in the bloodstream from from the brain, from from the muscle. There's there's always a constant environment talk. And so I, I want people to understand the benefit of maintaining as much lean tissue as you can for as long as you can in your life because of the quality of life that you're going to have is so much more improved. And then you also have to understand by lifting weights, you get much stronger bones. So your bone health, you know, the, the bone mineral density, we, they, you don't get as brittle as you age. And that, that's very well documented where we've got people that are in their 70s and 80s that have been resistance training their whole lives, that their bone mineral density looks like they're a 25-year-old. It's insane. Um, so there's also a new field of the crosstalk between the muscle and the bone is a new emerging field within physiology that people are really studying. So there's so many aspects to the benefit of, of resistance training and weight training. And I want everybody to experience those benefits, but they just have to, you know, learn that th those benefits are there and not be intimidated to go into and, and try these types of things. You know, taking the first step is hard. I understand that. Uh, but if you know that it's not leading to a ton of bulk and there's so much other health benefits to weight training, not just looking muscular on the beach, then people's eyes really start to open up and they say, wow, you know, that could really improve my life, you know, in my, like I said, 60s, 70s, 80s. That's the message I try to pass along to as many people as possible. Yeah, you know, when I was growing up, the muscle magazines were really popular and everybody kind of wanted, I could see how it caught on and how people kind of got that perception just based on what has been popular in the past decades. Everybody, there would be a little ad if, if you're tired of getting bullied and kicked on the beach. I forget the guy, Joe Weider, maybe. No. Uh, yeah, so I see how these myths can can get started and yeah, everyone's looking for something fast and, and the fitness does promise a lot. Like you mentioned, I think we have six minute abs because seven minutes would be too much. Yep. Um, so uh, I, I hope a lot of people are getting some good knowledge and learning some good myths. And uh, let's move on to myth number four. All right. So number four, this is one that another one, it, it comes up all the time. And this is a one this is one that I really like to talk about a lot because a lot of beginners kind of make this mistake. And um, I, I want to help people avoid that. And the myth is that fruit sugar is bad for you. And fruit is bad for you in general because of carbohydrates. And, you know, I always try and talk about this because so many people fall into this trap. First of all, carbohydrates are a very, very preferred source of fuel for your body especially during exercise. So for anybody that lifts weights, it's really important that you consume carbohydrates. Now, I'm not saying you need to consume a ton of carbohydrates, but you have to have them in your diet, um, you know, good, healthy carbohydrates, what we'll talk about in a second, because when you resistance train, you need immediate energy at a very, you know, at a, at a high rate. And so that's carbohydrate breakdown that supplies that. If you're a runner, an aerobic, uh, an endurance athlete, you're going to need carbohydrates 
uh, as a big, big portion of being able to fuel that exercise. Yes, you're going to burn a lot of fats in the process as well, but you're going to burn a lot of carbohydrates. And especially in certain portions of a race, like let's say, for example, for endurance athletes, you're running up a hill or you're trying to pass somebody, those bursts of energy, you know, you're, you're late in the race and you're trying to get that last final leg to the finish line. You know, we want our body to be able to preserve some of those carbohydrates. That's what we call glycogen sparing to be able to have that accessible for when we need to, to exercise. So carbs are so, so important. They're important for your brain and your nervous system. It is the predominant source of fuel for your brain to function. Um, one of the first things people notice when they go on an extremely low carb diet is mental fog and fatigue. And it takes them a while to adjust to that. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say was red blood cells. They need carbohydrates. So my point is they're very, very important. Fruit sugar is not something to be afraid of. And here's why fruit sugar is not like, um, the added sugar in ice cream or cakes or pastas and things like that. Fruit sugar comes with fiber. Fiber helps when you, when you ingest the fruit sugar and the fiber at the same time, that's part of the fruit, it slows down the digestive process. And what happens there is there's not as much of a blood sugar rise. Um, so for people who are concerned with that, the fiber decreases that. But when you consume those carbohydrates, they also come with vitamins and minerals. So it's not just the carb source in and of itself, it's all the packaged nutrients that are with it that number one, slow down the blood sugar spike. And number two, add all that value physiologically and you need carbs. They're an important aspect of your quality of life, especially if you're an active person exercising. So it's not, you should not be fearful of fruit or anything like that. I always tell people, nobody got fat by eating bananas. Nobody got fat by eating, overeating apples. I'm sorry, it's, it's more so a calorie consumption of a lot of different foods. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is typically when people say carbs are bad for you, what they really mean is those simple carbs, the cakes, the cookies, the candies, the pastas, um, some of these white pastas and breads that come with a ton of carbs, but not the other good stuff. And so it, keep, it makes it really difficult to stay in your calorie range if you're having these hyper palatable carbohydrates that don't have you know, the vitamins, the minerals, and the fiber to go with it to allow for a healthy function. So those, those are kind of the myths and things that I talk about around that topic. Um, fructose briefly, real quick, fructose is something that people kind of get a little bit worried about. Um, provided you have a healthy liver and you're a normally healthy metabolic person and you've had a recent physical, um, the fructose is not going to be damaging to your liver. And that's something that a lot of people kind of fear as long as you maintain your total calories, right? It always goes back to that. If you're over consuming and your calories are super, super high, of course, that might start to lead to some problems. But if you're in the right range, fruit is a, it's a, it's a friend. It's not an enemy. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. I've ran 55 marathons so far, so I know what you're talking about, needing the carbs. And a lot of people think the carbs are bad and think I only need them because I run so much. But I try to tell them that, yeah, it's not – you want the good carbs, not the unhealthy cookies and all that junk. So little by little, I know sometimes it can be boring. Uh, start learning a little bit about food. You know, yeah. Wow. So you've ran 55 marathons. That's, that's excellent. Do you have a favorite one? Uh, um, in a way it's been my toughest one. 
uh, where I was injured. It took me almost seven hours and I got hypothermia and needed medical attention, but only because of the mental uh, toughness that it, it helped me develop. Uh, but then I've done Lake Tahoe triple. So three marathons in three days. And mm. that was so challenging uh, and cold. And then Sedona marathon is so beautiful. So I don't know. I, it'd be kind of hard for me to narrow it down, but yeah, yeah. There, there's so many uh, beautiful places in the world. And that's kind of why I do it. I like to travel and, and it's a great way to see different States and cities. Wow. That's awesome. And, uh, if anyone in the audience, I uh, would like to come on up, uh, raise your hand and more than happy to have you up and ask uh, the doctor a question. We'd be more than happy to have, have you, uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, are you doing online training? I know you're a professor. So do you do in-person training? If people want to reach you, how could they do that? Yep. So I am a professor. I'm an assistant professor of exercise science uh, at American International College in Springfield, Massachusetts. So I do that. I also work for another company, uh, Jason Brown Coaching, who is a strength and conditioning specialist. His kind of specialty is program design. So we put together courses for, you know, trainers that are just kind of starting out in the field or trainers that want to just increase their knowledge within program design specifically. Um, and then we do, you know, a little bit of content, you know, social media content. Uh, we've got a lot of good things planned, you know, as far as other future courses, but that's kind of what we do in that aspect of it. We have a nice little Facebook community and it's a really kind of cool spot. So that, that's something I've kind of dove into, uh, I'm on Instagram, very active on Instagram. I have a, another company that I work for called Revive, where it's mainly centered around people who have struggled with addiction, all different types of addiction. And my role in that company is to help them go through the fitness and programming side of it. Um, you know, just kind of making sure that that's streamlined. So I do that as well. And then we also have a family business called Total Health. And so I'm in the cannabis space a little bit. So we sell different cannabis product, cannabis related products, CBD, we sell um, all kinds of different, you know, just supplements, herbal products. I mean, we're, we're going to get into everything, you know, we're, we're young in the, in the company itself and we're going to be growing very quickly. Um, so that's kind of my niche area where I do some, I'm going to be doing some coaching. Uh, I have a sibling that's uh, an avid runner as well. She's going to be doing some coaching. So if anybody's interested in kind of joining our platform and doing some wellness coaching with us, please, that's, that's something that is available and, uh, you know, a big passion of mine that I want to continue for as long as I can. So those are kind of the different aspects that, that I'm in right, right now currently. And uh, it's a lot, but it's a boatload of fun. I love it. Yeah, I, I didn't know about the CBD. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I, I believe in it. I've used it after many marathons or after jiu-jitsu training. It, it, it helps with the healing process because I, I do a lot and I don't have to worry about some kind of, I don't know, depending on, I'd rather not take medication. I'd rather let my body kind of like feel what it needs to feel. And I just use a little CBD uh, here and there. And uh, one of my buddies who's a jujitsu black belt, he has like CBD. I think it's like a, it's like a rub. He, it's like a, what is that thing you take a bath with? He mixed it with it. It's pretty interesting what he did. I'm trying to think. See, uh, 
uh, I can't think of the name right now. I'm blanking, but it's an interesting combination where I've never seen anybody do that. What, what type of CBDs do you do? Uh, is it like gummies or creams? So we, yeah, we sell basically all different methods of taking CBD. So, you know, we, we sell the gummies, we sell different types of tinctures. Um, you know, we, we actually sell the flour, we sell vape cartridges, you know, anything uh, that, that somebody would utilize. I mean, we've experimented with suppositories. I mean, anything that can help somebody I'm into, right? So we, we always are looking to explore different avenues and, and how we can be, bring the, be, the best products possible um, to, to help people in any delivery method that, that we can. So we sell all different ranges, all different strengths, uh, some that's good for sleep, some that's, you know, all different types of ailments that people have kind of come to us with, chronic pain. Um, the one thing that I always tell people, well, there's two things I want to bring up quickly on the CBD side of it. Two things I want everybody to understand if you look into CBD. The first one is you have to make sure you go get a product that's actually going to work. And what I mean by that is make sure it's been third-party tested. Make sure the company in some way, shape, or form can prove to you that they have you know, sent their product out to an independent lab and what's on the label is actually in the bottle. So for us with Total Health, that's what we've done. We've made sure that all of our products are third-party tested. You know, they've, they, all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. Because first and foremost, that's the reputation of our company. You know what I mean? We want to make sure that we're bringing the best products to the table. So we're, we're, we're taking that extra step to do that. So that's the first thing that I always tell people when they look into CBD-related products. That's golden rule number one. Golden rule number two is don't give up on it. So many people, when they first start taking CBD, they may take it for a day or two and it may not be working for them. And they just say, well, that was it. It didn't work. And they, they kind of give up. Cannabis is a very interesting therapeutic in the sense where for some people, it can take several weeks. Some people, it's been months and in very severe illnesses and ailments, there's some documented cases where it's been a year plus before the endocannabinoid system, which is how CBD works in the body, really starts to get amped up to its more normal level. So those two things are so important. I just see way too many people give up on it. CBD is very powerful in the sense that it can help a lot of people. People just don't realize it. Um, and some people just aren't willing to experiment with it and try it because of its relation to quote unquote marijuana. And I just want people to know it's a very, very safe product, uh, provided you get it from a good source. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. It, it's kind of like all, uh, when I first learned about it, all fitness products, you want to have it tested by an independent laboratory to know what's really in there is really in there. I think uh, almost everything in GNC is banned on the UFC uh, supplements for any fighters because it has some sort of steroids. Mm. And I, I think from what I learned, it's they're, they're made in other countries where there's like, you know, no federal drug administration and they're giant bats where they mix it and maybe they won't clean the batter as good. So you actually think you're taking this whey protein, but it has more than it actually is supposed to have. So having a test, and I can't remember the two companies that, for nutritional products that actually tested, I think uh, one of them is for the Olympics, uh, Husada, I, I can't recall right now. But yeah, also for CBD, as I was looking into it, it's you know very important to know where you're getting it because it seems like everybody nowadays has a CBD company. 
Yeah, I mean, with our company, Total Health, uh, I'll tell you right now, I mean, all of our products are right here in the United States. That was one of our staples when we first started the company. It was, we're making sure we do this, you know, the right way. And, and to us, the right way was making sure we could essentially track the product. I, I commonly use the phrase seed to mouth. So, I mean, I, I know, you know, from the point of, I, when I say I, our team knows where that where that CBD is coming from as far as where it's grown, how it's manipulated as far as how it gets into the into the bottle. It's tested several times along the way, not just once, not just the end product. It comes to us. We do our testing and then we put, basically put the product out and we feel very confident once it gets to you and you start to use it. So, I mean, we literally track it in a sense, seed to mouth. And I think that that's a unique thing and a really important aspect because in order to develop trust in a company, you have to make sure that, that you know, they're doing their side of it to bring you the best product. And, and we feel very comfortable being able to, you know, demonstrate that highly effectively. Well, I wanted to uh, thank you so much for joining me. looks like no one in the audience has any questions today. I think we just probably bombarded them with so much information today. <laughs> but hopefully they can take away something helpful today. And everyone listening in and the simulcast on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, thank you so much. Everyone in the broadcast as well. Uh, doctor, is there anything maybe I missed out? Any closing words you want to uh, leave? No, the, the number one thing I'll say is, number one, I appreciate your time. You know, this was excellent. I always enjoy speaking to new audiences and, and meeting people like yourself that are trying to share good content. So I appreciate it. And the, the last thing I'll say is, you know, for everybody out there, uh, you know, one of the things that I say a lot to people is it's it, in the health and fitness world. It's you against you. Don't worry about what other people are doing. You know, you just try and improve day in and day out and just watch the magic happen because it does slowly but surely it does. You develop a lot of confidence. Don't compare your story to others. Just keep on the road. Keep on the path. You're going to have a bad day here and there. You might have a bad week or a bad month here and there with your fitness and your health. But every step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. So stack them up. That was excellent. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining uh, Athletic Definition. This has been episode number... 74 so thank you so much for joining me i'm trying to remember i i went crazy in the month of december and i did a show every day so i was like what number <laughs> is this um but yeah thank you everybody for joining and tomorrow i'm supposed to have carlos who's an ultra runner and a salsa dancer but he ran an ultra and he uh, this past weekend and he's having some complications so we're we'll find out if he, he's here tomorrow if not the show will go on and uh thank you so much dr app I might have you back on. I, I was actually trying to get a CBD expert um, that I know on here to talk more about CBD. But now that I know about it, uh, that's a whole different show right there. So, yep, um, I'd be happy to come on and do a full a full episode on CBD. I would enjoy that a lot. So, yeah, please. Okay, great. So I'll definitely be in contact with you and thank everybody for joining. Until uh, next time, this is Coach Ray Z. Enjoy the rest of your day, morning, or evening, wherever you are.